بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما Last week when talking about the early childhood of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam we talked about how he moved from household to household and this is the way of an orphan that when the father dies and the mother dies then they are moved from household to household and this is what happened with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam so first of course for the first couple of years of his life he was brought up in the desert with his wet nurse Halima anha, and then she returned him to his mother after two years and he lived with his mother for another about four years and then his mother died when Muhammad was about six years old so a six-year-old boy he already lost his father even before he was born and now he's only six years old and he lost his mother as well very difficult childhood that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam had to go through after that he stayed with his grandfather who was the leader of Mecca the head of the Quraysh Abdul Muttalib so he stayed with Abdul Muttalib his grandfather for another two years so from the age of six to eight he stayed with his grandfather Abdul Muttalib and then Abdul Muttalib also died so now the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he is an eight-year-old young boy and he has been brought up already in three households. First in the household of Halima Al-Sa'diyah then in the house of his own mother Amina bint Wahab and then in the care of his grandfather Abdul Muttalib. And now at the age of eight, when the Prophet ﷺ was eight years old, Abdul Muttalib also passed away. After this, the Prophet ﷺ went to live with his paternal uncle, Abu Talib. Abu Talib was one of the most respected sons of Abdul Muttalib. And he was the brother of the father of Rasulullah. ﷺ. The father of Rasulullah, ﷺ, as we mentioned, his name was Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib. And Abu Talib. Ibn Abdul Muttalib was his brother. So he was the paternal uncle of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he took him to care for him after Abdul Muttalib died. He took in his eight-year-old nephew Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he treated him as if he was his own son. He didn't treat him as an outsider, as a nephew. No, he treated him as his own son. And he even used to call him Ibni. This is my son. When people used to ask, who is this boy? He would say, this is my son. So he had an immense love for this boy and he treated him as if he was his own. And Muhammad sallallahu also grew very attached to Abu Talib. So they both loved each other. They both cared for each other and they both respected each other very deeply. And Muhammad sallallahu stayed with Abu Talib for a number of years. When Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam was 12 years old, so he had been living with Abu Talib now for about four years. 
He came into his house, household when he was eight years old. Now he's about 12 years old. So during these four years, they bonded. They became very close. And they both loved each other deeply. So one summer, when Muhammad wasallam was 12 years old, Abu Talib was getting ready to make a business trip up to Sham. Sham is the greater Syria area. So he was getting ready one summer to make a trip up to Sham. And it was well known that the Quraysh, they used to take two major journeys every year. One journey in the summer and one journey in the winter. In the summer, they would go up to Asham, the greater Syria area, and do business there. And in the winter, they would go south to Yemen. Because in the winter, Asham, it would be very, very freezing cold. So they wouldn't go there in the winter. They would go to Yemen in the winters and they would go to Asham in the summers. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this habit of the Quraysh. لِإِلَافِ Quraysh, إِلَافِهِمْ رِحْلَةَ الشِّتَاءِ وَالصَّيْفِ the Quraysh has become accustomed. This has become a habit of them to make these two journeys. The journey of the winter and the journey of the summer. The journey of the winter was to Yemen and the journey of the summer was to Asham. So Abu Talib, he's getting ready for the summer journey to go up to Asham. And Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is about 12 years old at this time, a young boy still. But he asks his uncle to allow him to accompany him on this journey. He was excited and he said, can I go with you? And Abu Talib, he doesn't think that this is a good idea. And he tries to convince him, no, let me go. You stay here in Mecca. And Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam starts to cry because he really wants it. He really wants to go with his uncle. So he starts to cry and he asks his uncle again and again, please let me go with you, uncle. Please let me go with you. And the sons of Abu Talib are witnessing this. Muhammad sallallahu crying and asking Abu Talib to let him accompany him on this journey. So the sons of Abu Talib tell Muhammad sallallahu leave him. Don't do this. Just stay here with us. Stay in, stay in Mecca and let him go. And Abu Talib tells his sons, no, don't worry about it. I will take him with me. I will take him with me. So he tells his own sons to stop trying to tell Muhammad to stay. And he tells them that I will take him. I will accompany him. I will let him accompany me on this journey. So Muhammad is very happy and he's excited that he gets to go on this trip all the way to Sham. And he has never actually left the greater Mecca area since he came back to Mecca from Halima al-Sa'diyah. Since Halima al-Sa'diyah, his wet nurse brought him back to Mecca to live with his mother when he was two years old. Since that time, he had never been on a trip like this. He had never been outside the greater Mecca area. So he's very excited to take this first big journey in his life. And he's going to go with his uncle so he's happy and he's excited and the caravan leaves Mecca going towards Asham. And the caravan, of course, it has a number of people from the Quraysh. It's not just Abu Talib and Muhammad Wasallam. No, it's a lot of people, a group of people from the Quraysh making that journey. So they are moving on the way from Mecca to Asham. And 
on the way, on the pathway from Mecca to Asham, they passed by a monastery, a Christian monastery. And in this Christian monastery, there lived some monks. They used to live in the monastery and they used to devote all of their time in worship. They used to detach themselves from the dunya completely. And they used to just spend all of their time in worship. And this is not something that Allah prescribed them to do. This is something that they started to do as a form of uh, extremism in leaving the dunya. But this is not the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded them or commanded us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about this type of way of living, just spending all of your time in the house of worship, only worshiping and having nothing at all to do with this dunya. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about that way of life, this is a way of life, this rahbaniya, this, this monk lifestyle of cutting off the dunya completely. This is something that they innovated, that those people, they invented. It is not something that was revealed to them by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We did not prescribe this for them. Anyhow, this was the way that these monks used to live. They stayed in the monastery and they used to just spend all of their time worshipping and they cut themselves off completely from the dunya. And the head of these monks in this particular, in this particular monastery that the caravan passed by, the head of these monks was a man named Buhaira. And he noticed the caravan coming close and he noticed something strange. Remember, this was the summer and the hot sun is out, right? So Buhaira, he noticed that this caravan that's coming, there is a cloud that is covering the caravan, keeping it in the shade. And wherever this caravan goes, the cloud is following it, keeping it in the shade, protecting it from the heat of the sun. So when Buhaira noticed this, he realized that uh, this is something special. This wouldn't just happen for anyone. There is something special about this particular caravan. And many caravans had passed by in the previous years, right? And he never noticed anything special about them. But this one, he noticed something special. So the caravan stopped in a rest area near that monastery. Right? Of course, it's a long journey from Mecca to Asham, so they have to make many stops on the way. So they stopped at a point that was nearby this monastery. And Buhaira, he wanted more information about these people in this caravan because he realized there is something special here because that cloud is following them and protecting them wherever they go. So when he saw that they stopped nearby for rest, he sent some of the people there in that monastery to go to that caravan and invite them for food. Go to them and bring them back to the monastery, invite them for a feast of food. So a few of the people from the monastery, they go and they reach the caravan and they say that you are invited to come to the monastery and have some food with us. So those people, <coughs> the people of the caravan, these members of the Quraysh who are with this caravan, they were kind of surprised that they were being invited for a feast because they had made this journey many times in the past. Every summer they used to make this journey. They used to pass by the monastery so many times and they were never invited in for food or anything. 
So they said, oh, this, is, this is strange, this is unusual. We're being invited for food today. Okay, as long as we're invited, why don't we go ahead and have some food? So they decided to accept the invitation. But they didn't want to leave all of their stuff, all of their goods that they had with them in the caravan. They just didn't want to leave it unattended. So they decided to accept the invitation and go into the monastery to eat food. But they decided that they have to leave one person there with the caravan to watch over the stuff. And who was the youngest one there that they could tell to stay there and watch over the stuff? It was Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the 12 year old boy. So they said to him, okay, we're going to go and accept this invitation and eat food. You stay here at the caravan and make sure that nobody comes and takes our stuff. So Muhammad sallallahu said, okay, he agreed. He stayed there. And the rest of the caravan, they went into the monastery to partake in this big feast that Buhaira had arranged. Now Buhaira, he invited them in for a specific purpose to see the people and to see what was special about them. So he started serving them personally and looking at each one of them carefully to see if there's anything special in any of them. And he didn't notice anything special in any of them. He thought these are all normal people. So he asked, did everyone from your caravan come here? Did you leave anyone in the caravan? And then one of them said, yeah, we're all here. Everyone is here. And then another guy said, no, no, no. Remember we left the, the boy? We left that young boy to watch over our stuff. And then a third man said, we left a young boy. We left this young boy, this orphan boy, while we are here enjoying food. And we left him with the, with the caravan. No, this is very bad. We should call him as well to come and have the food. So they sent some of their people to go to him and to bring him into the monastery to have some food with them as well. So now Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the 12 year old boy, he comes in. He comes inside and Buhaira sees him. And he sees that yes, this boy, this is the boy. There is something special about this boy. So he sits down and Buhaira serves him some food. And he wants to have a conversation with him. But before he starts conversation with him, he wants to just observe the boy a little bit, see what type of actions he has, see what is special about him. So Buhaira just serves him some food. And Muhammad sallallahu alayhi before he starts eating the food, he says, Bismillah. And Buhaira is amazed. Look at this. He said, Bismillah. All of these other guys, when they started eating, some of them were saying, Bismillah, Bismil Uzza, in the name of this God, in the name of that God, in the name of this idol, in the name of that idol. But this boy, before he eats, he didn't mention anyone except Allah. Bismillah. And then he starts to eat. So Buhaira is impressed. This is, this is a sign. Then he asks the boy, what is your name? And the boy replies, my name is Muhammad. Now Buhaira is even more happy because in their scriptures, in the previous revelations, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is mentioned by his name. So when he said his name is Muhammad, Buhaira became more convinced. Yes, this is the boy. This is a special boy. And then Buhaira wanted to test Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So he said, I want to ask you a question. And he noticed before Muhammad came in, he noticed that these people, 
of the Quraysh when they want to swear when they want to swear they say they say wallati uh, wal-uzza or billati wal-uzza they would swear by lat and al-uzza which were two of their false idols that they used to worship so when they would want to swear make a statement and swear they would say billat or they would say bil-uzza and then they would make their statement so buhaira he noticed this even though he was a christian himself and he didn't believe in any of this stuff he noticed that this is what they were doing so he wanted to test muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam in this regard as well so he told muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam i want to ask you a question and he said sa'altuka billati wal-uzza he said i ask you a question by Allah and al-uzza and then muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam when he heard buhaira mention Allah wal-uzza he said la tuhallifni billati wal-uzza fawallahi ma abghadtu shay'an bughdi lahuma he said do not speak to me in terms of swearing by Allah and al-uzza because wallah i swear by allah i do not hate anything more than i hate these two i don't hate anything more than i hate Allah and al-uzza now look at this this is actually amazing muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam growing up in mecca growing up among the quraysh where they all worship or most of them worship these two idols they worship allah and they worship al-uzza and they worship other idols as well and muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam is growing up in these households where these idols are worshiped he grew up with abdul muttalib and Abdul Muttalib was from the people who worshipped these idols as well. He grew up with Abu Talib. He's living with Abu Talib during this time even. And Abu Talib worships these idols as well. So this idol worship is all around him, even from his own family members. Yet still, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who protected him from ever falling into shirk. From ever following, falling into any type of association of partners with Allah. Allah protected him. So he said, Wallahi ma abghadtu shay'an bughdi lahuma. I have never hated anything in my life more than I hate Allah wal Uzza. So don't talk to me about that. So Buhaira is very happy to hear these answers. Very happy. That was his test, and Muhammad passed this test perfectly. Then he said, Okay, I won't ask you by swearing by Allah and Al Uzza. Sa'altuka billah. I ask you by Allah. Then Muhammad said, yes, this is what I want. This is okay. And then he started asking him some personal questions. And every answer that Muhammad gave him increased Buhaira's certainty that this is the prophet that we are waiting for. He is going to become that prophet that we are waiting for. So Buhaira is very happy with all of his answers. He asks him some personal questions. He asks him some questions about what kind of dreams he has. And all of the answers increase the certainty of Buhaira that this boy is going to grow up to be the messenger of Allah that we are waiting for. Finally, Buhaira had one more request to Muhammad He said, do you mind? Can you just uncover your back let me see your back the skin on your back and Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam 12 year old boy he said okay if you want to see go ahead see 
And the reason why Buhaira asked this question was because it has been revealed in the previous revelations that this messenger that's going to come, he will have Khatiman Nubuwa, the seal of prophethood on his back. And there are many ahadith that mention the seal of the prophethood that was on the back of the Prophet ﷺ between his shoulders. It's a raised piece of skin. There was a raised piece of skin on his back between his shoulders that had some thick hair on it. And that was the seal of prophethood. And it was mentioned in the previous scriptures, the previous revelations, that this prophet, he is going to have this on his back. And Buhaira knew this. He was a knowledgeable person. He knew this. So he said, after all of the questions and answers that, he, that they went through back and forth, after he was satisfied with all of them, he said, I just need to see this one last thing. He wanted to make it certain by seeing that. So when Muhammad Wasallam let him see his back, he saw exactly it was there. And then he knew for sure, 100%, this is, this is the boy. This boy is going to grow up to be the messenger that we are waiting for. Then he went to Abu Talib. And he said, who is this boy for you? Who is this boy in relation to you? And as we mentioned earlier before, Abu Talib, he used to call Muhammad Wasallam Ibni. Even though he was his nephew, he used to call him my son. Because he treated him as a son. So when Buhaira asked Abu Talib, who is this boy to you? He said, he is my son. And then Buhaira was shocked and surprised. He was like, no, no, this boy, his father can't be alive. There is no way that the father of this boy is alive. Because amongst the descriptions of the, of the messenger that was to come was that he was an orphan. Buhaira, he's knowledgeable. He knows about these scriptures. He has read them. And he knows that the boy is an orphan. So when Abu Talib said, this is my son, Buhaira said, no way. He can't be your son. This boy does not have a father that is alive. So when he asked Abu Talib again, tell me exactly who is he to you? He said, okay, yeah, he's actually, he's my nephew. But you know, he lives with me and I'm bringing him up. So he's like my son. He said, okay, okay, now it makes sense. You're not really his father. So Buhaira was 100% convinced that this is the boy who is going to grow up to be the messenger, the prophet that they are all waiting for. So he tells Abu Talib, he says, do not take him to Asham. Do not let him complete this journey with you to Asham. Because in Asham, there are the Jews who when they see this boy, they are going to recognize him. Just like I recognize him, they're going to recognize him as well. Because they know his description in the Torah. They're going to know that he is the boy who is going to become the messenger of Allah. But once they realize that he is from the Arabs, that he is not from Bani Israel, he is not from the children of Yaqub, once they realize that, they're not going to be happy and they will kill him out of jealousy. So do not let him go to Asha. So Abu Talib hearing all of this, he's, he gets very scared. Like, what is all of this strange stuff that is happening? This man, Buhaira, you know, he invites us for food and then he's talking with all of this talk. He's very afraid. So he decides, okay, I'm not going to take him to Asham. 
and he arranges for him to be escorted back to Mecca while the rest of them complete the journey Abu Talib arranges for some of the people from the caravan to take Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa back into Mecca so he didn't get to complete that journey to Asham. so we see here that the signs of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa they were there from his early childhood from the beginning even from his birth there were so many signs that pointed to the fact that there is something very special about this boy and when he went back to Mecca the signs that showed the fact that he was special they continued and they got more and more and more one of the signs that the Prophet ﷺ was protected by Allah from anything, from doing anything bad, even before he became a Prophet, was that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected him from ever witnessing or ever being part of any type of immorality. When the Prophet ﷺ went to live with Abu Talib, Abu Talib was very, very, very poor. Abu Talib was very poor. And we mentioned last week the reasons why the leaders of the Quraysh like Abdul Muttalib and Abu Talib and the other brothers of Abu Talib, we mentioned why they were poor. Even though they were the most honorable family and the most respected family and they were the leaders of Mecca, we mentioned that they were still poor because they used to spend all of their wealth in service of the Hujjaj. And Hujjaj would come from all over the place and these people would, uh, these leaders of the Quraysh, they would take their responsibility of taking care of the Hujjaj very seriously. So they would spend all of their money to take care of these Hujjaj. Even though they were earning good income, they would spend all of it to take care of the Hujjaj. So that's why they were poor. So Abu Talib was very poor. And he had many children as well. He had many children and he didn't have much money. So they lived a poor life. So the Prophet ﷺ lived a poor life with him as well. And the Prophet ﷺ actually helped the household <coughs> helped the household of Abu Talib in terms of earning money. So when the Prophet ﷺ was able to, he would actually take some of the sheep from the people of Mecca and he would he would actually tend to those sheep and herd those sheep on the outskirts of Mecca to earn some money to, to help Abu Talib take care of the household. And the Prophet ﷺ said, مَا مِن نَبِيٍ إِلَّا الْغَنَمِ There is no Prophet except that at some point in his life, he tended to sheep. He took care of sheep, every single Prophet. And the Prophet ﷺ, Muhammad ﷺ was no exception to that. He actually did that as well. And by doing that, he earned some money to help his uncle take care of the household. Now, when Muhammad ﷺ was a, a young man, and one of these days he was taking care of the sheep on the outskirts of Mecca. And the people of Mecca from time to time, they used to have different types of occasions and different celebrations. They used to have weddings and such. And in these parties, these wedding parties, a lot of bad stuff used to go on. And sadly, even today in many wedding parties, a lot of bad stuff goes on. So even in the time of the Prophet you know, before he became a prophet when he was a young man. 
some of those celebrations in Mecca, those weddings in Mecca, a lot of bad stuff used to go on there. Singing, dancing, all of these type of, of things. And the Prophet ﷺ never attended one of these things. He never saw it. He never witnessed it at all. So one day he was on the outskirts of Mecca tending some sheep and there was a companion of his also tending some sheep as well, you know. And they could see that, you know, a wedding was going on in Mecca. They could see that some wedding is going on tonight in Mecca. And Muhammad ﷺ had never seen any of this type of thing in his life. He had never seen what happens at these parties or anything. So out of curiosity, he was interested to go and just see what it's all about. So he told that other uh, companion of his who was there tending the sheep, he said, can you look over my sheep tonight? Can you take care of my sheep as well tonight? I have never attended, you know, one of these wedding parties in Mecca and I'm interested, you know, to see what it's all about. So the guy said, yeah, sure, no problem. I'll take care of your sheep. You go ahead. So he wanted to go, but he became very, very sleepy. He became very, very tired and he fell asleep. And the only thing that woke him up was the heat of the sun the next day. So he slept throughout the whole night. He missed the whole party. Morning came and the sun came and he woke up by the heat of the sun. So he missed it completely. So he went back and he told his friend, yeah, I mean, I was going to go, but I fell asleep and I missed it. Okay. Later, another time, after some time, the same situation happened again. There was a wedding there and he asked the friend, he asked the man, can you look over my sheep? You know, I'm going to go this time and check it out. He said, yeah, sure, go ahead. The same exact thing happened to him again. He felt very drowsy, very sleepy. He fell asleep and he only woke up by the feeling of the heat of the sun on his body. Both times Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved him from even witnessing any type of immoral behavior taking place. This was the special protection that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala kept on him. Subhanallah. Another one of the protections that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam even before he became a prophet was the fact that he was never exposed. His body was never exposed for the people to see. And the Quraysh, nakedness amongst them was something that was considered very normal. Many of the people used to actually make tawaf around the Kaaba naked without clothes. And what was the reasoning behind this? Hujjaj, they used to come in from all over the place. And the people of Mecca, the Quraysh, they wanted to think of a way where they could earn some money from these hujjaj. So they made a rule that if anyone wants to make tawaf around the Kaaba, they have to only do it with clothing that is purchased in Mecca. You can't bring your own clothes from whatever country you come from and make tawaf. If you want to make tawaf of the Kaaba, you have to do it in our special clothes from Mecca itself. And who are the ones who are selling those clothes? It was the Quraysh. So they thought that, okay, this is a way we can make some money. So whoever could afford it, whoever had enough money to afford these clothes from Mecca, they would pay the Quraysh and they would get these clothing, these pieces of clothing and wear it and make tawaf. Okay, but not all of the hujjaj are rich. They don't all have so much money. A number of them could not afford it. So they said, okay, if you can't afford it, if you can't afford this clothing from Mecca, you have to make tawaf without any clothes, naked. So many people, they used to make tawaf naked. 
And the fact that people were always around the Kaaba doing tawaf without any clothes, it made this site something very normal to the Arabs there. They would see it every day and they became desensitized to it. It became something that's like an everyday thing, normal thing. Nobody thought much about it. So nakedness became like a, a common thing, a normal thing amongst these Arabs. Also, when they were doing some heavy work, when they would do heavy work like lifting stones and stuff like that, you know, to, to minimize the, the heat of the sun, they would take off their clothes sometimes too. Because Makkah, it gets very hot, so they thought, okay, let's take off our clothes. When we're doing this work, it won't be as hot at least. So they would take off their clothes, you know, when they're doing heavy lifting and heavy work sometimes. It was something very normal amongst them. So one day, the Prophet wasallam, he was helping his uncles do some work near the Kaaba. They were lifting some heavy stones. And the Prophet ﷺ was helping in that as well. The Prophet ﷺ, of course, <coughs> of course, he had his waist cloth, his izar on, right? And he was lifting these heavy stones on his on his shoulders, right? So his uncle Al Abbas, he said to him, he said, "Why don't you take off your izar, take off the waist cloth, and put it on your shoulders instead of carrying the big." stone like that right on your shoulders take your waist cloth and put it on your shoulder and carry the stone on that so it won't really hurt your shoulder you can have like a barrier between the stone and your shoulder so why don't you take off the izar and put it on that was something that was very normal amongst them you know nobody thought it was a big deal so the prophet says when when he said that and when i thought about doing it when i was ready to actually do it the prophet fainted before he could take off his waist cloth he fainted. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused him to faint. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected him from ever exposing his body to anyone, to the people. So this just shows how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was with him and protected him from everything, every single step of the way throughout his whole life. Another example is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala kept the manners and the character of the Prophet ﷺ at the topmost level, even when he was a little child. Not only when he was a, an adult, but even from his young childhood, his akhlaq, his manners were the best of manners. An example of this was when food would be served out in the household of Abu Talib. And we mentioned that Abu Talib, he was a poor man and he had many children. So when the food would be prepared and when the food would be served, all of those children, they would jump on that food and try to get whatever they could. Right? This is a common thing for children to do. When food is served, everybody wants to get whatever they can. And there were a lot of them so that each one of them wanted to make sure they get something. But Muhammad would never participate in this. He would watch them do it. He would stay away, let them take whatever they want to take and leave. Then he would go, if there's anything left over, he would eat it. If there's nothing left over, he will go to sleep hungry. But he would never participate in jumping on the food and taking it like that. Like his cousins were doing. From a young age, this was his character, this was his piety. And nobody noticed that this was happening for a long time, that some nights he was going to sleep hungry because of this. People didn't notice it. But then after some time, Abu Talib started to notice it. 
Abu Talib noticed that, yeah, when they are all going on the food, he's staying away. And if there's any food left, he takes it. If there's nothing left, he quietly, without complaining, he goes to sleep hungry. Little child. So Abu Talib, he felt very sad about this. And he said, he said to the people who were preparing the food, he said, okay, when you make the food, just keep one part separate. Keep one part separate and serve out the rest of the food so the boys can eat it. So the kids can eat it and keep one part separate and we'll give it to Muhammad separately because he doesn't participate in this jumping on the food like the other kids are doing. So he started to do that. So this shows the greatness of Muhammad even from his childhood. Inshallah, next week we will continue to talk about some events that happen in the young adult life of Muhammad in Mecca. والله أعلم وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين